Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Anders interviews Dr. Arnie de Kaiser about touch points, qualities, and context cornerstones to understand customer experience. So, uh, welcome to our podcast series uh, on customer experience management. And today we have a, in my eyes, a very, very special uh, guest, Arne de Kaiser. Um, he has done some amazing research on customer experience, and I will certainly like to learn or hear more from him. And, and uh, I'll just ask Arne to introduce him uh, himself uh, slightly, and then we'll start to just discuss as we normally do okay well thanks Anders. first of all thanks for having me right it, it, it's a pleasure to be featured on on your podcast which i think is a a very innovative way to introduce in the classroom um well so as you say well i'm i'm Arne uh, de Kaiser. Uh, i'm um, a belgian native yet working in france uh, for edic business school so i i'm an associate professor of marketing and research-wise, well, my main research interest resides in customer experience. So what is customer experience? How do we manage that? Uh, what's important about it? And then next to that, I'm, I'm especially uh, interested when, uh, let's say, firms mess up. Uh, so if a service failure happens, how can we restore that? What can we do to uh, help fix what we did wrong? And then next to that, I'm also interested in the uh, infusion of new technologies in the service frontline. So how does that impact, especially uh, customers there in how they experience their interactions with an organization? Thank you. Thank you so much, Arne. And uh, it sounds like I may get in touch and, and talk about technology later on in, in, in this yeah. series. Uh, this is also something I'm, I'm, I'm heavily interested in. Uh, so there's a lot of, to talk about there. But, but um, First of all, uh, I, I always ask a question uh, to, to, to all the participants, and, and that, is, that is really, what is customer experience to you? Um, well, to me, I, I'd say, well, customer experience is, is all about the uh, reactions or responses that follow any encounter that, that an individual has with a specific organization. And that can be a, a direct or an indirect interaction, but all these reactions, responses over time, they basically help a consumer shape their opinion or attitude towards a certain organization. So in other words, how valuable do I believe these experiences are or have been? And because of that, do I, do I want to continue my relationship with an organization or do I want to encounter them again in, in the future? So in this sense, to me, I'd say customer experience is like one of the core concepts for anyone dealing with customers, for anyone active in the field of marketing, it, it's vital to understand what customer experience is all about. You, you said react, and so it, it's more cognition than sort of pe pe what people think. Uh, I, I'd say it, it's some sort of combination. I mean, there, there's a cognitive factor to it. There's an emotional factor to it. There, there's a social factor to it. Uh, the, the senses play a very important role. So uh, it, it's like the initial reactions or responses that arise. I mean, later on, we're gonna talk about um, what I define in my research as, as qualities. Qualities are essentially like the uh, words that you can use to describe these reactions. Uh, if, if you go 
and interact with a certain organization and you come home and you say, oh God, that was fun. Or I learned something or it was super special. To me, those would all be those initial reactions, responses that, that kick in. So it's not purely a cognitive thing. Uh, you're almost answering the second question I have, but, but what is a good experience? Uh, a good experience to me, um, I, I don't think there's a prototype to say this is a good experience. It, it's something uh, very individual. So what is good to me uh, might not be good to you and the other way around. But essentially, I think the outcome of a good experience should all, always be, uh, or hopefully for your organization be, do I want to come back? So as I said, so all the experience you have with the specific organization, they kind of help shape this feeling or attitude toward that organization and they allow you as a customer to assess whether you've been better off or not after interacting with this organization and what do i mean with better off well that could be did i learn something uh, did i make an economic profit did i have fun so all sorts of value that could be relevant to a customer but this sort of value realization happens because you reflect upon the experience that you had and so if you're able to deliver valuable experiences, I essentially believe that that results in customer satisfaction and ultimately, and I think most organizations are after that, higher retention. So customers coming back and hopefully also customers talking favorably about your business. Uh, so basically any outcome that business scholars and practitioners have put central in let's say the last 20, 30 years, well, that should hopefully be the outcome of a, a good customer experience. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, but this is something we've been, customer experience is not a new novel concept. It's something that, that we have debated over a very long time. Uh, service researchers has sort of highlighted this in, in the 90s and, and, and some even as early as the 80s. And, and, and there isn't that, hasn't been that much done uh, People would, of course, argue, but we are seeing a, a, a dramatic increase in, in research on customer experience. So why, why now? What, what makes it more relevant now? Uh, I, I honestly say, well, it's always been relevant. I mean, talks about the essence of customer experience actually date back way before the 80s even. Uh, I mean, in the 50s and the 60s, I mean, there was already talk about customer experience. Um, and, and now... You, it's true with this, this business and academic hype and uh, there's a logic to it because it is a very vital concept as I, as I said before so it, it was a little bit uh, underlighted in a way uh, now I, I think for a long time there was a little bit this belief that if you wanted to be a successful company you could focus on one of three things either you deliver an outstanding product I mean think about Apple for instance or um, your your world class in, in operational management think about the Walmarts of this planet or third and you're very good at developing intimate customer relationships I mean think about a department store like Nordstrom in the US that really puts customer service at the heart of what it does now in in most business schools uh, th that would be thought as as the model of Tracy and Wirsema so where they say, ah, oh, you have product leadership, you have operational excellence, and you have customer intimacy. And you need to be good at all three, but you need to especially excel in one discipline and dominate your market on it. Now, today, I'd say that the bar is put at a higher level. 
it, it's like you almost need to excel at, at all three levels now. I mean, look at Amazon. If you, they're world-class in operational management. But many of the actions that they take, uh, take the prime program, uh, they're really aimed at building strong customer relations and trying to become um, almost a partner in the life of consumers. I mean, just a few days ago, they, they announced the launch of Astro, this, this weird-looking uh, robot on wheels. So it's kind of a home robot that, that drives around your house and allows you to check whether everything is fine and it can play music to you and, and so on. And I don't know if it's going to be successful, but it, it's yet another attempt of the company to like build stronger connections with customers and to, to broaden the ecosystem of products that one uses and that is in connection with Amazon. And if we think about products, I mean, they're also expanding into to a variety of industries and they, they really seek to develop their own products and services and they want to excel at that. So they're really trying to dominate on all three axes that were put forward by Tracy and Wirsema. And when I think about customer experience or customer experience management, I'd almost say that that resides in that middle point of those three dimensions. It's like customer experience it's shaped by your products, it's shaped by your processes, it's shaped by the relationships that you establish with an organization. And uh, world-class CX or customer experience is, is driven by high performance on, on all three. So as an organization today, I think you need to invest strongly and excel in, in each of the three dimensions now. Um, and, and that's why I believe that such a strong focus on, on experience is vital. Also because customers are more and more in charge of things. So we're, we're continuously connected. It's very easy to find information, to compare prices. And our expectations for organizations, wow, they're high. I mean, we expect, we expect them to be fast. We expect them to uh, deliver meaningful interaction points. We're hoping for uh, personalization and so forth. So we're actually, we're difficult to please. Um, and, and the only way to live up to that is I think if you put this, this almost difficult customer between brackets, central in your business. And, and that kind of outside-in perspective is essential, I think, in many industries and is, is one of the reasons why CX as such a vital concept has become more and more to the front end of, of how we need to manage organizations and how we need to look at customers. Thank you. Um... I, I totally agree. Uh, it, it also resides quite uh, closely to, to Barry's concept when, when he's talking about functional, mechanical, and, and emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's uh, similar to that. Um, you recently published a fantastic paper uh, that I've started to use immediately, as, as you fully, fully know. Uh, it's yeah. Published in, in your your law service research research, and I will put down the link in this podcast. Really nice piece of paper, piece of work. But can you tell tell us a bit more about the background of the paper? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, 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 thanks a lot, of course, for for the compliment. I mean, we were very happy with, with the paper appearing, and and uh, let's say when when I saw you, well, your work come out last week. Uh, really building upon that work. Uh, I mean, I, I felt very honored and happy to see that it had an immediate use. So uh, that, that's always very nice to see. Now, let's say the motivation underlying the work was, was um, somehow a frustration that, that so many people, be they academics, be they practitioners, uh, they're all talking about customer experience, but they're often talking next to one another. 
So they're talking CX, but they're not necessarily saying the same thing. So our starting point was like, well, we want to synthesize what we know about CX and let's try to develop a sort of vocabulary that we can use and develop so that people can actually use this language and finally start talking about CX in a consistent and established fashion. Because it's my belief that if you speak the same language or um, at least can understand each other, it, it can be that more magic, let's say, happens because you don't waste or lose time trying to figure out what the other person is talking about, but you immediately understand each other and you can get it to a next level without losing a lot of time. And I think that was the prime goal under the underlying the research uh, at, at first. And, and perhaps I just want to give a quick shout out to, to, to some colleagues because a few months before our paper, there was another piece that, that was published in, in uh, the Journal of the Academy of Marketing Science and JAMS by uh, Larissa Becker and, and Elina Yakula. And um, they, they published another synthesis. And, and why am I, was I especially happy with that paper? Well, what they do is establish like the base premises of CX. So how does it come to be? What does it result into? And I, I, I always believe our paper provides the vocabulary and that piece of work is essentially about the grammar. So it's like, if, if you want to get the, the basic notions of this concept, especially from an academic point of view, I think you need those two papers in combination and, and you kind of have, uh, what do we know about CX and, and how do we move forward from here? Thank you. Uh, in, in, in your paper, uh, you, you're introducing uh, different building blocks, uh, TQC, touchpoint context and qualities. Yeah, so you, you could almost think about these building blocks as Lego bricks. I mean, they, they come together in various sizes, formats, and different constructions. So if you have the qualities, so the Q, uh, they represent the nature of the, the responses and the reactions that, that result from the interactions you have with an organization. You have touch points. So what are touch points? Well, they're basically the points of interaction between a customer and an organization. And they're somehow vital for experience to happen because if there's no interaction, be it indirect or direct, there wouldn't be any experience taking place. And then finally, we have a context, which um, is a very broad collection of factors that influence how one experiences interaction with an organization. Um, I, I know we'll come back to this probably in a few minutes, but just to give one example, I mean, if you go to a store, the mood that you're in, be that a good mood or a bad mood, it impacts the way we perceive that organization. I mean, if we're in a bad mood, research has shown that we're actually much more susceptible to see negative points about an organization. And they will obviously negatively impact our experience and anything that, that results after that. So context essentially means that no experience is exactly the same, as there, there will always be some variation in the contextual factors surrounding an interaction. Uh, and, and that actually makes it very hard to manage experience as an organization because there's so much that impacts that, that experience. I, I agree. And, and uh, I, hope, I hope to discuss context a bit more with you because that, that is something I've been struggling with uh, for, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but, but let me start with touch points. Um, uh, it's slightly vague what a touch point is. And, and, um, and what role a touch point has. Um, and, and I find it's 
sometimes difficult to, to convey that to, to uh, students and practitioners. Uh, so can, can you please help me understand touch points a bit better? What, what role does it have and what is it? Yeah, so um, in, in our work, let's say we define a touch point as um, reflecting the moments or the points of interaction between a customer and organization. Uh, this could be a contact with a frontline employee. Uh, it could be a contact that you have with an advertisement. Um, it could be a friend that's talking about the organization. Um, essentially, it could even just be you daydreaming about your organization. I mean, that's a very indirect touch point, yet it, it might impact uh, how you feel about an organization. Now, in our work, we, we let's say we distinguish three factors that help describe a touch point. I mean, first, we have touch point nature. We have human touch point, think about frontline employees. We have digital touch points, uh, think robots, websites, intelligent agents. And then we have physical touch points. Think about uh, the store design, the materials used in that store. And, and very often, of course, all these things will, will kind of mix and, and have an, an impact at the same point in time. Now, some of these touch points, they're controlled by the organization. Uh, the way a store looks is typically determined by a store owner. Now, some touch points are also outside the control of an organization. Uh, think about the impact of other customers. Uh, if we're sitting uh, on an airplane and, and somebody uh, behaves inappropriate in whatever way, um, yet to a large extent, an airline doesn't have control over that. Uh, yet it does impact our flight experience. Um, or another example, I mean, think about the airport. Uh, so if the experience with a flight might also be uh, co-determined by how smooth passport control goes uh, or the waiting area bef before boarding your flight. And all of these things, they're not under the control of the airline, yet they impact the experience passengers have. So touch points can also be indirect. Um, and, and finally, we should also take into account the stage in which an interaction takes place. I mean, we typically call this the customer journey. That's another popular word. And uh, we very often refer, we have a pre-purchase, we have a purchase and a post-purchase stage. Now, that's a very linear representation. Uh, but I think what, what's most important to remember about this concept is that uh, customers are driven typically by different goals at different stages and different touch points along this journey. Uh, they might want to gather information, they might want to pay, they want to consume a product or use a product. And as an organization, we want to take that into account when designing touch points. So essentially, touch points is what makes experiences happen. And as an organization, we want to develop them in such a way that they hopefully lead to valuable experiences. Or if we don't have control over them, we're, we're hoping that we at least can try to steer them in some sort of way that they are beneficial to us. So in, in one sense, it's a very concrete thing. But on the other hand, there's a lot of complexity that comes with a seemingly simple concept like a touch point. Yeah, as I said, this is something uh, that my students struggle with. And, and uh, I usually try to highlight that they should start to look at the low-hanging fruits, look at the touch points that, that uh, are the most important uh, for, yeah. for any organization. And... and Try to understand what goals uh, that that customers are are solving in those, those touch points, and, and and maybe look more into processes and how you can influence uh, the outcome of of uh, 
the interaction uh, in those processes. Uh, yeah. I mean, typically in practice, what's also often used is there's a jobs to be done model uh, developed amongst others by, by Clayton Christensen from Harvard, uh, which I think represents a very um, easy to grasp and understand uh, way to look at uh, what are people trying to achieve? I mean, what job are they trying to get done? And I think for everyone starting out here, having a look at, at either the books behind it or, or the HBR readings is a, is a very good starting point. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, context is again a very, very big concept. Uh, context can be so many things. It could be, as you pointed out, what, what uh, any customer bears with them when they enter. It could be that different industries have, have different ways of doing things and that then I mean could even be country differences so it's sort of uh, context is a really wide concept but, but uh, can, can you talk a bit more about context and what makes it interesting yeah so so what we try to do in in the paper is to at least um try to bring some structure in what context is and what it could be comprised of and that was pretty hard to do because, well, there's so many factors that could be at play that impact the consumer. That is like, where do you get started? Now, how we define context, and, and that might sound a bit abstract, but it, we define it as like, it's the set of factors that are particular to a certain place and time and that help shape an experience. Now, I'm, I'm gonna try to become a bit more concrete while I, I walk through it. So. Um, we essentially distinguish four layers of context. So you say, well, the, the, the first layer is what we call an individual layer. We have individual contextual factors. I mean, we have uh, emotional factors. Think about the mood example that I gave earlier. Uh, we have cognitive factors. I mean, earlier experiences that somebody has with an organization. I mean, it, it's like they're put in a backpack and we take them along with us and they obviously impact uh, an experience that's happening in the moment. If something goes wrong, but actually everything before that was a very good and nice interactions, uh, our experience in the moment might not be too messed up or we might be pretty much forgiving about that or the other way around, of course. Uh, there's, there's normative factors. I mean, the cultural norms that someone has internalized that, that has an impact on, I mean, what do people feel as appropriate? Uh, there's physical factors. Think about one's physical conditions, for instance, uh, that, that might impact a certain uh, point of interaction. Uh, and, and I think a very good evolution here is that there's a lot more attention uh, towards inclusive design on how do we um, design interaction points for, for instance, people with physical disabilities. How do we take that into account? Because it's a very often overlooked individual contextual factor but which might negatively impact someone's experience. And so, so I think that's a very good evolution there is that more and more organizations see that they need to take into account that contextual factor. Uh, we have economic factors. I mean, the income level of someone or the available budget. Uh, you might have big desires in terms of what you want to purchase or what organizations that you might want to interact with, but not be able to or, or be very, or have difficulties to do so. So all of these individual factors they shape one or the other way how we perceive a certain interaction. Now, a second layer is what we call social factors. That's the impact of family, friends, fellow customers, communities. And um, 
One example here is, is actually comes from a very uh, cool paper by uh, Michelle Andrews and colleagues. And, and what they did in this paper is to look at how consumers respond to mobile ads while they're sitting on a train. And they compare responses of those people when they're on a crowded versus a nearly empty train. And what they find is that the response to ads on a crowded train is actually almost double to that of empty trains. Uh, so, so you see again how just a social factor, people surrounding you impact the way you interact or the way you respond to uh, a company that tries to interact with you through a mobile ad. And, and the logic they put forth here is that somehow people want to safeguard their personal space. I mean, there's so many people around them and they kind of see the smartphone as a way to escape that environment around them and because they become much more responsive to it. Uh, a third layer is what we call market factors. I mean, we think about the impact of competitors, substitutes, future entrants, uh, all that. Another example here, uh, there's research that shows, for instance, that if a data breach happens with a competitor, it might in some situations actually result in a negative spillover to the rest of the industry. So something where you actually don't have control over, it, it, something negative happens with your competitors, it impacts the way people interact, perceive your organization, how they experience it. And then finally, and that's a very big layer, which we call environmental factors. I mean, we have natural factors, the weather, we have economic ones, uh, gas prices, which is a, a very hot topic right now in Europe. Uh, we, we have public factors. I mean, the road infrastructure, we have political factors. Think about um, international conflicts taking place. And again, one simple, one simple example, I mean, there's research that shows that uh, sunny weather boosts mobile ad response while snow, fog, storms actually decrease it. So you would say, well, a seemingly um, non-relevant factor as the weather can in some situations actually be very, very relevant um, to impact an experience. And if you have all these factors, and there, there's a lot of them as an organization, it is very hard to see which ones are most important and which ones you can collect data on. And, and that's where I think you need to invest a lot more in research on understanding, well, if we go almost go along with, with consumers and almost live their experience, what's relevant and what typically comes to the front, because there's no way that we can account for every contextual factor but it's about figuring out which ones seem to be typically relevant in our context. If I'm an ice cream manufacturer, I mean, weather might be much more important uh, than, than um, whatever other organization that, that you could think of. Um, so it, it's about understanding what is typically most impactful for my organization um, and, and trying to build your model around that because there's no way you can account for every contextual factor out there because th there are a lot, but they are important. And that's also what makes it difficult to do research about uh, because which one are we going to pick and uh, might there not be another factor that is more relevant? Thank you. Fantastic uh, answer. Um, what I sort of... to, to, to uh bring it down a, a, a bit, what I try to talk about when, when I discuss these things is, is that uh, you have like a big picture and, and a small picture thing that, that a, an organization is doing. So if, if, if you 
want to compete, you, you build a fantastic car or, or a, a really good cell phone. Uh, so then you have a really good solution, but there are a lot of other details that actually makes or break relationships. So I sort of tend to look at the context, contextual factors as more detail oriented. So you yeah. can sort of customize things for, for a, an individual in a way that no one else can. Uh, it doesn't capture all, all the contextual factors you mentioned, but, but it's a way to sort of try to understand what, what is going on if you look at small details like weather, like gender, yeah. like age, like um, income, like uh, any of, of these uh, smaller aspects. And then you could sort of tailor a, 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 an offering or, a, on a, or an experience for someone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to give one other um, example of a, um, how an organization can actually make use of contextual information. I mean, at, at one point, it was a couple of years ago, I, I sat through a presentation and um, it was a person from a weather company and, and they actually provided uh, their data to a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, taxi platform. And how this platform used weather data uh, was essentially is uh, whenever there was a prediction of rain, they would push more messages out to potential drivers to come up front. So they knew, okay, the moment that there's rain, there's gonna be more people inquiring taxi rides because they don't wanna take the walk. Uh, and actually they try to play into that proactively by seeking more drivers so that there would be more availability of drivers. And essentially while you can answer to, to all the demand that there is and also provide a better experience compared to competition, which might not be as active uh, in, in the moment there. So it, it's like, uh, well, seemingly small details, but that can make a big difference for, for customers and, and just by using contextual information. And you have a final uh, dimension here, qualities. Yeah. Can you help us understand what that means? Yeah. Um, so, so qualities, they're, they're, as I said, they're all about the responses that result from the interactions you have as a customer with an organization. So they, they reflect the nature of these responses. They're, they're like the, the attributes that an individual uses to describe an experience to the outside world. I mean, it was fun. I learned something. I've never seen something like it. So in this sense, qualities actually capture the essence of customer experience. And we, we distinguish several factors. I'm not gonna go into detail on all of them or uh, it will be a very extensive answer, uh, but, but essentially we have participation levels. So sometimes customers have an active role, sometimes they're more passive. Think assembling Ikea furniture versus watching a movie in theater. Uh, we have dimensionality. Uh, that, that's probably the most discussed set of qualities or the most, the most discussed quality. So uh, here we can focus on how cognitive, how emotional, how physical, social, or behavioral a certain experience is. And, and just to give one example, like uh, Jeep, the car manufacturer, uh, they, they uh, often organize events where different Jeep drivers meet up and they're involved in all sorts of activities. And uh, the, the social dimension of these events is so strong and helps build this community around the brand that it actually helps increase brand loyalty. Um, another quality is valence. So whether something is positive, neutral, or negative. And uh, negative here is not necessarily equal to not valuable. I mean, think about a roller coaster ride. Um, uh, some people might remember how they, uh, at that point, weren't 
all too happy about sitting on the roller coaster ride, but coming off of it and then saying, well, this was amazing. Or you go to a horror movie. Uh, I mean, the, the moment something scary happens, it, it might be a negative valence, but afterwards might be very valuable to you. Uh, another quality that we distinguish is the one of like the, the, the commonness of the experience. So how ordinary or extraordinary was an experience? And um, some interactions are very ordinary. I mean, if we take a bus ride to work, uh, typically nothing much special happens. But other experiences can be very remarkable. I mean, the roller coaster ride example, uh, a fancy dinner in a three-star restaurant, they're not things that we do every day. So they're like a bit special. And at, at one point, and especially in the 90s, there was a little bit of this belief that as an organization, we should push to deliver these extraordinary and memorable experiences. Uh, and that, that was labeled under the experience economy. And um, we're somehow coming back from that in a way that we see that ordinary experiences can also make a difference. I mean, if I'm taking the bus to work, I'm not sure I want to be surprised per se. Uh, I, I just want the bus to drive reliably without me having to worry about arriving late or uh, me wanting super much entertainment, whatever. I, I just want to take the bus and get to work. So it's about understanding as an organization, what are people looking for? And then a final one that we have is duration. So that's like the subjective perception of how long or short an experience was, how lively it was, the variation. Uh, and that's important, for instance, if we're waiting in a queue. I mean, we typically hope that to be as short as possible. So uh, the, the quest in the supermarket is always like pick the right line. Uh, for other experiences, I mean, we might feel, okay, let, let, let them continue. Uh, think about the roller coaster ride again. Some people are like, I can do it over and over again. A good movie, a good series, we don't want them to end. So again, that's very subjective um, on, on how or what we're looking for in terms of duration or the different qualities, let's say. So if, if we have the touch points, if we have the context, if we have the qualities, bringing them all together, we can talk much better about customer experience. I mean, CX is formed by touch points. These touch points are embedded within a context and that combination then results in the set of responses from the customer side. So it, it's like almost you can make various combinations of T, C, and Q and, and see what kind of mix you want to help facilitate as an organization. That's a little bit how we're looking at this vocabulary and how you can use it. One thing I struggle with, and I, I do think that, that a lot of organizations struggle with that too. And, and how do you know what qualities to capture or measure? So how, how do we actually? Yeah, I, I think that that's probably one of the, the, the key challenges right now. I'm actually, um, last week I, ha I had some talks with, with um, it was a, a Belgian consulting firm and we're also like, okay, but how do we start measuring these qualities? I mean, we, there's so much we can do and, and we don't know where to start. And, and, um, there's a lot more work to be done. And I, I don't have the exact right answer to that. Uh, I think nowadays uh, we, we still often use survey research in this regard. I mean, but I think uh, survey research uh, is not bad in itself, but there's some flaws to it. Uh, so I think we need to uh, complement that type of research. Um, first of all, with a shift toward more uh, qualitative work where we really deep dive into consumers' worlds, try to understand how they live an experience, how it comes to be, uh, what contextual factors, for instance, are important. 
Uh, we can also think about, and, and, and that's more on, on your alley, uh, Amnesh, right? Neuroscientific tools, uh, tools that really help us to shed new lights on experiences like internally. I mean, different processes take place, different reactions happen that we're very often not even aware of that they happen internally, yet they, they drive that experience. So any work uh, that, that really uh, transfers neuroscientific insights onto the, the consumer uh, world, I think is very, very valuable in, in developing our understanding here. And while we have advances in machine learning as well, I mean, there, there's so much work right now on analyzing text, analyzing video, analyzing photos on, on uh, Instagram, whatever. Uh, and, and they could all provide like a potential goldmine for organizations to better understand CX what qualities are important, how we deliver them. But I don't think there's one essential or ideal tool. I think it's, it's a combination about different research and measurement tools that should help organizations build a better view of CX. And that, that's also where the challenge lies. I think we as academics here should also look to ourselves on how can we enable this to happen. I think we also have a sort of shared responsibility here together with practitioners to, to make this happen. And there, there's, there's a lot more that needs to happen still. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and uh, I, I usually say when it comes to methods and tools that, that uh, you don't want to use the hammer all the time in your toolbox. So why, why do we do that in research? So in, in other yeah. words, qualitative, quantitative, uh, ethnographic studies, uh, analyzing Twitter feeds, whatever, uh, that is beneficial for you to understand the customers uh, in a better yeah. way. So uh, you, you, in, in your article, you identify, a, a, uh, you identify gaps in the literature and what we should study more. But if you were to pick one, uh, what would that be? What, what, what's the biggest challenge we have? I think right now, we probably need more work about around customer experience management. So how do we turn an organization to become um, obsessive in a healthy way, of course, uh, with, with the customers. So, I mean, many organizations, they're putting CX as a top priority. I mean, study after study finds the same thing. X percentage of organizations put CX as the top priority. Uh, but when it comes down to uh, walking the talk, it seems to be a bit harder. Uh, in, in those same studies, you always find ah, 80%, 70% of organizations makes it a top priority but only 20% considers them a CX leader. So there's a huge discrepancy between what an organization is after and what they're able to deliver. And um, <clears throat> I think in a lot of situations, I mean, they lack top management support. Uh, many organizations still work in silos. Uh, they, they fail to comprehend or deal with huge data flows and so on, or to show the, the return on investment of, of CX uh, initiatives. And, I think that that really makes it hard to put the customer central in, in, in those situations. And, uh, and essentially, a customer doesn't care what department they're talking to uh, or what channel they're using. I mean, they only see the organization or the brand and they expect consistent interactions regardless of who's responsible internally. So I believe we really need to focus on how we can help organizations uh, set themselves up so that they can deliver these excellent experiences. I think that that's 
where the key challenge lies there. I mean, there, there's so many other smaller uh, challenges that one could tackle, but I think this is the big challenge nowadays also to prevent CX to become something like, yeah, we tried it, but we failed at it and it's so unclear. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, it is a lot of work. It, it is very, very difficult, but it's essentially where we need to move towards and, and we need more work on how we get it done. You're pretty much saying what, what they used to say in the, in the 90s about quality and quality management. And, and now it's sort of yeah. natural for, for most organizations. We don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, it, it's like, I mean, you, you need to avoid that. You, you, you kind of have one buzzword after the other. And um, I mean, there's no organization today that, that cannot say that quality is not important. I mean, it might have been the buzzword in the 90s, but I mean, quality is still... Uh, very much essential. I mean, uh, good products, good services, or quality products, quality services, they're your baseline. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do whatever initiative that you want. If your products or your services are not good, I mean, people are not going to come back. Uh, so so it, understanding the basics uh, is, is also part of what good CX management is, because that, that is still very much the core of, of what any organization should be. Thank you so much. Um, any any last advice for for uh, an organization that that is starting fresh of, of this? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna put two. So I'm I'm gonna borrow one from you. Where you say, well, focus on the low hanging fruit. Uh, I think if you really start, uh, that should be your starting point. It's like make make easy fixes, get that right first, and then take it further from there. Uh, and, and second is get top management on board. If, if the, the, uh, the leaders of an organization do not believe in CX, if, if there's no support from the top, I, I don't think you can become a true customer experience focused organization. Uh, it, it's, I think a CX organization is also very much culture driven. And if it's not like in the bones of everyone working for the organization, anyone working in the organization and continuously being pushed as this is who we are, this is what we stand for. I don't believe you can deliver on that. Thank you so much. And, and, and thank you, Arne. Very welcome. A, a really interesting uh, discussion. Uh, highly appreciate it. My pleasure. It. My pleasure.